There you go. It's not just good news, it's the best news. You know, last week we, we wrapped up our, our, our kickoff series that we kicked the year off with that was Pray and Go Together, in which, in which we spent the month of January praying for unreached peoples around the world, playing for, for geographic pockets of lostness here in North Carolina. And we wrapped it up with this, with this message, this idea of the best news. And we looked last week at the resurrection. And that, that is this, this best of news. And so what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks, this week and the next two actually, is we're going to be examining the gospel and getting to know the gospel a little better. And we're going to be asking ourselves the question that if this is the best news, then what are we supposed to do with it? We're going to be looking a little more in depth at, at, the, at this best of all possible news and what it means for us in the 21st century. You know, there are words and messages that can, that can change our lives. I don't know how many of you remember, probably, I don't know, in elementary school, you came home, let your mom or dad know that somebody had been picking on you, and you were given that expression, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The problem with that is it's not true. Because words have meaning, and words hurt. And some of you are carrying wounds that came from words that were said to you at some point in your life. Because words and messages can change things in our lives. Now sometimes these are really good, good words, right? I do. If you say the words I do in a particular context to another person, it changes your life, right? I'm pregnant. That changes your life. Whether you're the one saying it or whether you're the one hearing it, it changes your life. But sometimes, sometimes these words can change our lives in a negative way, right? I want a divorce. You're fired. I'm so sorry. They didn't make it. See, words and messages, it can change the life of an individual, of a family, or even of a community. But there is one message that's given in, history, in the history of the world that can change your life in this world and in eternity, and that is the message of the gospel. There's a lot of problems in the world, right? Can we agree on that? Can we acknowledge that there are a lot of problems in the world? The only true, lasting solution to the world's deepest problems is the gospel. Everything else is a Band-Aid. And sometimes, Band-Aids are important, right? Sometimes Band-Aids are important. I don't want to say that, that bandages and Band-Aids are important. If you cut your foot open, you need to get a bandage on it, don't you? Or otherwise, blood gets all over the kitchen, and the dog tries to lick it up, and your husband freaks out, and it's a whole, it's a whole thing. 
So bandages are important, but until that wound really heals, it's still a problem, right? The band-aid doesn't heal the wound. The only thing that will really heal the world's deepest problems is the gospel. We've talked before on just the massive change that came about from the year, let's say, 33, from the time of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection to just a couple of hundred years later. The massive, radical change that happened all throughout the world, in particular that that Mediterranean world. The catalyst, the, the X factor for that was the gospel. It wasn't reason that stopped the gladiatorial blood sports. It was the gospel. It wasn't reason that convinced people that they shouldn't take their babies they didn't want and leave them out in the wilderness to die. It was the gospel. It wasn't philosophy that taught people that all human beings have inherent worth because they're made in the image of God. It was the gospel that taught them that. That message changed the world. And, and it's changed us. If you are a believer, the gospel has, has changed you. But the question that we should be asking ourselves is you would, th- you would think that the people that have been changed by this message would be eager for the world to hear the message, and yet all too often, we're not. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we have good news, why do we not share the gospel? Study after study after study has shown that the overwhelming majority of people who claim the gospel of Christ have never shared the gospel message with another person. So we have to ask ourselves, it is if we are ashamed, right? We have to ask ourselves, why would anyone ever be ashamed of the gospel? Because that's the way that we act. And so we find ourselves in the very beginning of Romans. We're only going to look at one verse today. But it's an important and powerful verse. It's Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. Will you stand with me as we read the word of God together? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear gracious God, as we continue and study your word this morning, I would pray that you would make us not ashamed of your gospel, that you you would stir in us a desire to, to see it proclaimed to the ends of the earth. As we study your word, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. 
So, this is the, this is the beginning of Paul getting in to the message of Romans. The first 15 verses or so are, are that sort of normal, like, hey, I'm Paul, I'm writing to me, you're writing to you, you know who I am, I know who you are. And then the obligatory, man, I really want to come and see you part, right? Don't we do that? We talk to somebody that we haven't seen in a really long time, and it's like, oh, man, I'd love to come and see you. We should really get together. You never do. But 116 is, is sort of the kickoff place. See, there was a conflict that was happening in the church in Rome. They had, they had kicked all of the Jews out of Rome after the fire that, that burned Rome down, and, and Nero blamed the Jews. And so he kicked all the Jews out, and they had been expelled. And so, so non-Jewish believers had stayed in, in Rome. And the Jewish believers had been removed from Rome, and now they've come back. And so what's happened, what happens when, when two people spend some time apart from each other? Sometimes they grow in different directions, right? And so that's what's happened between the Christian, the, 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 the Greek Christians and the Jewish Christians. They've sort, of, they've sort of grown apart. And they've developed some conflicts. And so Paul is writing. That's what Romans is. Romans is, is Paul saying, hey, here's, here it is. Let's work through some of these problems. So that's the context of Paul writing to this church in Rome. One of the few letters we have from Paul that's to a church that Paul did not start. Paul didn't start the church in Rome. But they know who he is, and they're eager to hear from him, and he's eager to provide some wisdom and some guidance to them. And so he writes this letter, and he kicks off after all of this introductory stuff. He kicks it off with this statement, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, many of us struggle to understand what's meant by the word gospel. See, it's become one of those church words, right? And it's loaded with all this this church meaning. But... But when Paul writes, for I am unashamed of the gospel, he doesn't have 2,000 years of, of church meaning embedded in that word, does he? See, the word gospel was, was originally used, something like this would happen. There would, be, there would be a battle somewhere, and they would come back to town, and they would, they would make the news known in town that the battle had been won. And that was gospel. That was, that was good news. When we talk about the gospel, capital T, capital G, we're talking about good news. And normally we're real eager to share good news, right? I remember when... Miss Lavisa's grandbaby got engaged. She wanted to tell me. She wanted to tell me not only had her grandbaby gotten engaged, but her grandbaby had gotten engaged to the grandbaby of somebody who had been a member of my church in Petersburg. Because it's a small world after all. You know, we had a really hard time holding off, telling people 
that we were expecting a baby. I had a harder time than Audrey. When we get the good news that the cancer is in remission, the first thing we want to do is pick up the phone and call everybody we know, right? But when we get bad news, sometimes we're not so eager to share it. Maybe we call the person that's closest to us and let them know because we know that we're not going to be able to handle this bad news on our own. But we don't proclaim it from the world to the world, do we? Although some people like to put it on Facebook, but that's another thing. When we find out that the cancer is in remission, man, we want to scream it from the mountaintops. But when we got that initial diagnosis, we keep it to ourselves. You know, one of the things that's been interesting to me in this season of coronavirus is how many people don't want to share with other people that they've gotten the virus and that they are sick. Because somehow we have such a twisted understanding of disease and illness and there's so much junk that's been placed on this virus that people are ashamed that they've gotten sick. We don't get ashamed if we get the flu, do we? Or if we get a cold, we just get really cranky and take a lot of Benadryl. But for some reason, with this virus, right, we're seeing people not telling each other that, they've, that they have it. They just sort of disappear for a couple of weeks, and then they come back, and then maybe they tell you that they've had it. Because somehow, because of the way the news media has talked about it, and the way it's been politicized, and all this junk that's been placed on it, we're ashamed that we have the virus. We don't want to tell anybody. It's not good news. And so we have, to, we, we, we have to own the fact that if we're not sharing the gospel, if we're not sharing good news, we are carrying some sort of shame associated with it. What, what could be shameful about it? Well, the center of the gospel is this one act, the crucifixion. Right? Jesus going to a cross and dying a horrific, awful, bloody, grotesque death. Crucified as a criminal. That, that might not sound like good news. A crucified Jew who died a cruel death and then came back from the dead, that, that just sounds not right. Those sorts of things don't happen, do they? But see, even, even in the first century, we knew this. You know, Paul talks here about not being ashamed. Over in 1 Corinthians, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but the power of God to those who are being saved. He goes on to say that it's a um, foolishness to the Greek and a stumbling block to the Jew. 
Even, even, even in the first century, even just 10, 15, 20 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, it was foolishness to say that Jesus had died on a cross for the remission of our sins, had, was dead, buried, and rose again. It was foolishness. It was something to be ashamed of. So I think there's that, but I also think that in our modern world, there's a different, there's an added element here. See, we live, we live right now in a culture that says that like everybody has to be accepting of all people all the time. And, and if you're going to accept me, then you have to accept everything about me, everything that I do, without any question. Let me be me. Let Carter be Carter. I'm going to follow my own heart. And you, to tell me that I might be wrong about something, is wrong and bad. And in fact, violence. But, but the gospel that we proclaim is exclusive. It says that there is one God in three persons... That the son of that trinity came to earth, lived a human life, a perfect, sinless human life, died upon the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, and the only way to be enter into relationship with the Godhead, the only way to have eternal life, the only way to enter into heaven and escape the wrath of hell is to believe that. And we don't we don't like that. You're a bigot. You're narrow-minded. You're hateful. Now, sometime, turn it around on people. I mean, my, my favorite thing is when people say, there are no exclusive truth claims. Guess what? You just made an exclusive truth claim. And, and, and so, you know, whether it's, it's the cross or the exclusivity of the gospel, there's, there is this shame that can come in us because of the gospel. Or the, the culture, whether it's, whether it's the, the, the same human culture that was present 2,000 years ago that said the cross was foolishness, or whether it's our kind of really postmodern post-truth culture that says anything anybody wants to believe is good, it brings this shame on us. So our hope for not being ashamed of the message is to not be ashamed of the master that sends the message. The, the gospel is simple. The gospel is simple. We're going to look a little bit later on how simple it is and how in just about four or five minutes, you can explain the gospel to somebody. Paul also tells us that we should be unashamed of the supernatural might of the gospel. For I am unashamed of the gospel because it, the gospel, is the power of God. The power of God. Jesus Christ and the gospel are the only things in the Bible 
that have the power of God. I mean, God has the power of God, right? But, but, but Jesus and the gospel are the only things that are described outside of Jesus isn't outside of God. You understand what I mean, right? Like, that has described as having the power of God. There is no power greater than the gospel because there is no greater power than God, and the gospel is the power of God. We have some really powerful things in the world right now, don't we? One of the, one of the things that has just, I think, really caused a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the, 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 the problems that we have seen in our culture since the 1950s to today, just the fracturing is the fact that for the first time in the history of man, we have the power to wipe out all life on earth. And human beings are not supposed to have that kind of power. And yet we hold it. We rest. It rests in our hand, the power of the atom. And yet, for all of that power... It pales in comparison to the power of God. You know, we have theoretically developed, we've never tested them, thank God, nuclear weapons that can crack the crust of the earth down to the mantle. But the power of God makes that look like nothing. Because the power of God spoke the universe into being. We've got, maybe we've got too much power. But the power that we have, the power to eliminate all life on earth, pales in comparison to the power of God and pales in comparison to the power of God to save, reconcile, and redeem all life on earth. The gospel is more powerful than any force on this earth. It can bring hope, it can bring peace, it can bring healing, and it can bring grace into our chaos and our pain. It is not a coincidence that in every major peace effort in the 20th century, the people of God have been in the middle of it. It was Baptists and Methodists who got together in Northern Ireland to push for a peace process. It was Catholics and others who pushed for nuclear arms control. It's believers who are at the forefront of stopping one of the most horrific orgies of violence this world has ever seen in the abolition of abortion. It's believers who are at the forefront of the abolition of the death penalty. Because the gospel brings hope and peace and healing to you and then pours out of you to others. It isn't a message 
that all you have to do, it isn't a message of all that you have to do. It's a message of what has been done for you. It's not a message that says you've got to do, check this box and this box and this box and this box. It's a message that says those boxes have been checked. You could never check them for themselves. It's been done for you. You lack the power to do it for yourself. Supernatural power. Paul tells us that we should be unashamed of the saving ministry of the gospel. So, so we have the power of God. The gospel has the power of God. But the power of God to what ends? The power of God to destroy? Or the power of God to save? For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know, you can die with fame, with power, with money, with possession. You can die being the most famous, richest, best-looking person on earth. And if you die without the gospel, what good is any of those other things? There is nothing better, nothing sweeter than the gospel because only the gospel has this supernatural power for salvation. You know, all the time we say, we say this thing, like, it's a miracle. And sometimes it is. I think we see miracles. But sometimes we say that it's a miracle and, and it's not, right? Okay, I understand. It was before my time. I get that it was before my time. I'm sure I can't fully understand it. I understand that the 1980 men's hockey team beating the Russian hockey team at the Olympics was a big deal. It was not, despite the movie that has been made and despite the call of the time, a miracle. Probably just good old-fashioned American ingenuity and know-how. You know, oh man, I remember this when I, when I was a kid. You know, you're talking about how words stick with you. This, this stuck with me. When I was a kid, I was in a Wednesday night program. We had this thing called Whirly Birds. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't know why it was called that, but it was. And, and one of the leaders was talking, and she was talking about that that weekend that they had gone on a trip over to Mobile to visit the USS Alabama. It's a World War II-era battleship that's in the harbor at Mobile. And they had gone over to visit. And while they were on deck, they looked out and they saw all of, these, all of these clouds. And the clouds were coming toward them. And they prayed that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain on them until they got into the car. And wasn't that a miracle? No, that was meteorology. It's not a miracle when you find a parking space. But it is a miracle when God incarnates himself and comes to the earth and lives and dies and rises again to save you. And you and you and you and me. That is a miracle. It's the greatest miracle there was a, a woman she's the she's a 
professor in England, and she's the head of the, the British humanist organization, and she had a thing on Twitter recently where she was like, do you Christians actually believe miracles hap happened? Happen? Like, yeah, she couldn't believe it. It was so far outside of her realm of understanding, she couldn't believe. And, you know, and she finally said, well, I guess if you believe that somebody came back to life, you can believe anything. Because the cross and the tomb is foolishness. But it's a miracle. God made all things with a simple word. But to bring salvation, he had to send the Son to die on a cross. Paul continues here. He says that the gospel, that the supernatural power to the end of salvation is available to everyone, Jew and Greek alike. There's a, a good quote from David Platt. David Platt, he was the pastor at the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham for a while, and then he led the mission board for a while, and now he's at McLean Bible Church. And David Platt says this. He says, Every saved person this side of heaven owes, owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of heaven. It's a miracle that we've been given. It's good news that we've been given. And we owe it to people to share it with them. We can die with confidence because of the gospel of Jesus. And others who have no hope right now could do the same if they were called. If they heard the voice of the Savior and they respond and they place their faith in him. See, the gospel isn't yesterday's news, it's not fake news, it's not bad news, it doesn't have to be fact-checked, it doesn't have to be reported on. It's timeless. It's a true message with the power to change lives permanently and eternally, and if you have been on the receiving end of it, you need to share it. A couple of, well, about a year ago, we went through um, some training on Sunday night and Wednesday night on the three circles. If you're unfamiliar with the three circles, or we've got some of these left, we can get more of these. It is an excellent way, it is an excellent way to share and explain the gospel to somebody. It came about because Jimmy Scroggins found himself in a church right outside of Miami and for the first time was immersed in a culture where lots of people around him weren't Christians. Not, even, not only were they not Christians, they hadn't even grown up in the church. They didn't even have the language of church. See, many of us, right, we grow up in church, we have the language of church, and even if we've never trusted in Jesus, we know what the words are. And we know the broad outlines, but he, for the first time, found himself among a group of people that never had any of that. And he realized that if he was going to do what he was going to do, which was it was a marriage seminar, and if he was going to help them, he had to help them understand the gospel, because the gospel was at the core of how he talked about and taught about marriage. 
And so he wanted to come up with a simple way, something that he could sit down on a paper napkin and draw out. And that's where he came up with the three circles. And so we're going to walk through this really quick. Because I think it's a good tool. I want you to hear it. I also want you to hear it in case you've never heard this story before. In case you've never heard the good news. Now you're hearing it. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was God's design. The world around us is full of God's design. Things work the way they do because there is a designer. I mean, you know, if, if we were just, just a few degrees off one way or the other on the tilt of the earth, we couldn't have life. If we were, in cosmic terms, just a little bit closer or further away from the sun... We couldn't have life. God designed everything. And then what happens? What happens is this thing enters into the world through humanity, and it's called sin. And what sin is, is sin is the things that we do that break and go against God's design. One of the very first sins was rebellion against God. One of the, the second sins, one of the next sins was murder. These things aren't supposed to happen. And what happens when we sin is we lead to brokenness. And that's what's wrong with the world today, right? I mean, everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, you understand that the world is broken. You go, you talk to anybody who has any worldview, and they are going to acknowledge that there are things wrong in the world. And what happens with brokenness is you see all those little squiggly lines off of brokenness? Those are all of the ways that we try and fix the brokenness ourselves. So maybe, maybe we try and fix this brokenness that we feel by running around and being promiscuous. Maybe we try and fix this brokenness at the bottom of a liquor or a pill bottle. Maybe we try and fix this brokenness by putting all of our worth in our job. Maybe we try and fix this brokenness by putting all of our worth in a relationship. Maybe it's a monogamous relationship, but we still put all of our worth in that relationship. Maybe we just try and white-knuckle it and keep the car on the road after the power steering has gone out just through sheer force of will. And so we try and fix this brokenness, but notice that when we do that, it doesn't lead to anything because there's only one way to fix the brokenness. That's the gospel. The only way to fix the brokenness is the gospel. And see, you now see that we have, what, three circles. The only way to fix the brokenness is the gospel. And the gospel is this. God, in the form of the Son, God came from heaven to earth to show the way. There's a song, right? You may remember the song. Came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, our debt to pay. I would not encourage you to use song lyrics, but if it works for you, it works for you. It helps me remember it. He came from heaven to earth. And then he went to the cross, and he died, and he rose again. Now, Jimmy, when he presents on this, he makes a point to say the to total message of the gospel cannot end 
on Good Friday. The message of the gospel does not end until Sunday morning. The cross is essential, but so is the empty tomb. The gospel is what will fix the brokenness. And so how do we move from brokenness to the gospel? We move from brokenness to the gospel by repenting and believing. Is that big enough? Can you all see that? We move to the gospel through repentance and through believing. And I mentioned this earlier. What repentance is, repentance isn't saying, Mr. David, I'm really sorry that I was rude to you. And then going out the next day and being rude to Mr. David. Repentance is saying, Mr. David, I was rude to you and I apologize. And then going out of my way to make sure that I am never rude to Mr. David again. It's a 180 degree move in behavior. We have this idea that repentance just means saying we're sorry, and that's not repentance. Repentance is movement away from the direction that we were going. So that's repentance, and what's belief? Believe is to, to, well, believe. What are we believing? We're believing the gospel. We're believing that God did send his son to live, die, and rise again for us. We repent and we believe. Now, believe is not an intellectual thing. It's a head thing and a heart thing. We gotta have, we've got to have both. We've got a lot of people sitting in a lot of pews in this country and around the world who've got the head thing down, but they don't have the heart thing. They don't believe. So repentance and, and believing can, can bring us to the gospel, and then the gospel allows us to recover and pursue God's design. The gospel allows us to recover and pursue God's design. That perfect design. We're able to, to chase after it because of the gospel. See, when God restores our relationship to him, we begin to discover the meaning and, and purpose in this broken world. And we can pursue God's design in all areas, all areas of our life. This is the three circles. This is how you can very quickly, I mean, I, don't, I didn't time myself, but it was just a few minutes. This is how you can share the gospel with others. I would encourage you, like I said, go ahead and pick this up. It's got other things in here. It's got supporting Bible passages in here. So you know where this stuff is coming from. And if you move on, you see right here, there's actually, there is an app that you can put on your phone that you can swipe through and it shows you the circles and through that too you there's actually a video so maybe maybe you really want to share but you don't have it down maybe you don't speak well maybe you are a moses let the app be your Aaron, and give this for you the gospel is simple Three arrows, three circles. On a napkin. On a scrap of paper. The gospel is simple. And the gospel is full of supernatural power. To the end 
of saving us, redeeming creation, so that we can recover and pursue God's design for us. I've got a whole bunch of these. I was going to put them in the back, and then stuff happened, and I didn't get out there. I'll take them out there right after service. Pick them up. As many as you want. Take them with you. Learn it. Learn it inside and out. Share it with somebody else. Share it with yourself. One of the things that I love about Three Circles is not just that it's a great way to share the gospel. It's a great way for us to internalize and remember the gospel ourselves and understand the gospel ourselves. Because there is good news. There is the best news. And we need to be shouting it from the mountaintop. We need to trust and obey, which is 